picnics, parades, speeches, sizzling grills, family vacations, the end of summer, the return to school, excitement. It's Labor Day. This podcast is going to look at the history of this celebration, this American celebration, and we'll also talk about what the implications may be for Christians. Let's begin with the history. Labor Day grew out of the European labor movement. Now, this podcast is going to focus a lot more on the U.S., but to appreciate the background, you have to know the European origins as well. In the 19th century, labor conditions were not good. They were not good, for example, in England or the continent. They were not good in the United States. And for most workers, especially those in the industrial sector, they were really bad. During this time, emigrants were pouring into the United States at quite a rate. And housing was poor. Often families had to crowd into a small apartment. I remember uh, a seventh grade reading assignment we had. It was The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. And it talked about the, the terrible conditions that immigrants to the U.S., to the packing uh, to the meatpacking industry, as I recall, of Chicago, what they experienced. And books like this uh, raised public awareness. But this is a time when women and children, not just men, but women and children are working often 12 hours a day, six days a week with very little time off, perhaps just a very few minutes for lunch, stultifying conditions. And because of the economy, most families needed their children for the additional income. And so there's a movement in the UK to get rid of child labor, or at least to regulate it. But this is the era of factories and mechanization. People are feeling um, terribly uh, vulnerable. If people complain, they could be sacked. And it became clear that conditions were not going to get better unless people banded together. That there were all kinds of labor um, strikes and protest movements in the mid-1800s in Europe, but this started to happen in the United States as well. By the 1870s, even uh, uh, labor unions were coming to be, and thousands of workers going on strike at the same time had a lot more clout than one person uh, writing a letter to, uh, to his manager. They wanted better pay, more humane conditions, and of course, shorter working hours. And in time, um, organized labor spread especially through the industrialized cities of the United States. Now, the U.S. government did not want American labor too closely aligned with the European movement. There had been a lot of violence. It was scary for governments and for management alike. Uh, International Workers' Day, also known as May Day, is a time when uh, labor and left-wing movements come out and stand on their rights a time of demonstrations and marches, and still is through most of the world. Uh, May 1st is a national holiday in over 80 countries, and it's celebrated in other places too. There was always a fear of the left, the U.S. being a very capitalist uh, nation, and the president who, who finally made Labor Day an official holiday, Grover Cleveland, certainly didn't want trouble by being too closely linked to the European movement. And so, rather than having a May holiday, they chose a September holiday. May became Memorial Day. 
that was much safer. And, and then by shifting the, um, the day for labor, a few months later, um, things were partly defused. And there was good reason to. Demonstrations in the U.S. had led to bloodshed. There was a, a massacre uh, at Haymarket Square in Chicago. Uh, someone threw a bomb, dynamite, at the police during a public meeting, and there was gunfire, and police were, well, accidentally killing police, and who knows how many other people. There were trials, there were executions. Now, this was nothing that they, they wanted to see spread anywhere else in the country. So Labor Day was a way to provide a vent, I, I suppose, for the, the steam, and the head of steam that was, uh, was being pent, pent up as pressure increased. In a way, it gave labor a voice without letting control uh, be lost, allowing the capitalists to still maintain control. Now, the first Labor Day in the U.S. was observed in 1882 um, in Boston that was organized by a union in New York, but it didn't become a national holiday until uh, 12 years later, um, after the government, and particularly President Cleveland, saw the trouble that could happen and, and how the U.S. marshals and the military uh, could could barely uh, contain um, th- this groundswell of movement, uh, which uh, was a threat to, to the political powers. So today, the first Monday of September is an official holiday in every part of the U.S., uh, you know, the 50 states, uh, D.C., and the territories. Now, if you're a man or woman of faith, I have some things to say, because we as Christians need to remember that the greatest good isn't economic. Christ didn't come to reform the economic system or campaign for better working conditions in uh, Judea. And he could have done that. I'm not saying that would be a bad thing, but it wouldn't have been the greatest thing. Because ultimately, the greatest good is not economic, but spiritual. So before aligning ourselves with any labor movement, or even a union, I think we need to make sure our attitudes are correct. Perhaps you have questions like this. Uh, should workers organize? Is it appropriate for a Christian to belong to a union? Is it ever appropriate for a Christian to strike? I asked a friend of mine on the West Coast about this. His reply was, well, I suppose it depends on the situation, but particularly if it's, a, if it's for a matter of justice and mercy as fair treatment issues, and fair pay often can be, and as long as it's done peacefully, then I see nothing wrong with it. I agree with my friend. There's nothing in the Bible forbidding striking, but there's a lot in the Bible forbidding the wrong spirit. Rather, we should be asking, along with these questions, some other questions, some more introspective questions. Am I serving my employer with all my heart? Am I putting my ultimate hope in economics? Am I demanding my rights? I mean, how did Paul deal with people who were demanding their rights in 1 Corinthians 6? Remember what he said? Why not just be wronged? You Don't take people to court. Don't, don't use the arm of the law to guarantee your rights. You know, Jesus, he says in 2 Corinthians, was rich, but he made himself poor so we might become rich. It's not about economics. And there's no question in my mind that because conditions were so inhumane, the organization of labor was largely a positive thing. There, this is, in my view, a, a proper function of government to ensure that uh, the 
leaders of companies are not exploiting their workers. And in the 19th century, such controls were sadly lacking. And even to this day, in many countries, they're sadly lacking. And yet, for those of you living in modern, western, industrialized nations, we almost need a manifesto in the opposite direction. Not a a manifesto of worker rights, but more for us as followers of Christ, a manifesto to ensure that workers will really work, especially if they're disciples of Christ, because we live in a culture of entitlement and tremendous individualism and focus on rights. And so I thought of, well, a short uh, list of not rights, but more responsibilities. And these come from my own experience of work. I know I worked 20 years for church, but I had a number of other jobs. I used to work as a janitor. I worked two summers for the Boy Scouts. I worked uh, for Six Flags, um, Great Adventure, as it was called, in New Jersey. And and a number of small jobs uh, from uh, helping, uh, a lot of them were cleaning jobs or clerical jobs. I was even a Kelly girl, called Kelly Services in other countries, but I taught myself how to type and even taught myself how to do shorthand. Well, my kind of shorthand. So this is a way I made money, a little extra money and and money to give to the contribution and for the poor when I was in uh, graduate school. I I had a lot of different employers. Here's what I think. And I I have seven uh, points I I would make. And and see what you think. Maybe you can add some more. And I I hope it's appropriate during uh, this time of Labor Day to consider this. Not so much to think about our rights, but to think about Jesus Christ. So, first, we must not shortchange our employer by arriving late or leaving early. Now, look, I know everyone wants to get there as late as possible. Nearly everyone wants to leave early if they can get away with it. But normally we're paid for a certain number of hours. If you're not paid that way, then then just take the principle of it and apply it. But for most people, there is an actual start time and finish time. For a Christian, I think it's a better attitude to arrive early and leave late. Oh, I don't mean get there ridiculously early, but not even appear to be pushing it as though we don't want to be there, we don't want to serve, and not being the first one out the door, but being around, being available, not shortchanging our employer, which I suppose is a, a form of theft. Second, don't stretch the lunch hour. And in the notes that come with this podcast, um, I put quotation marks around the word hour. I mean, I don't even know what that means. For some people, you may only get 20 or 30 minutes, and others get an hour officially, but it becomes 90 minutes or two hours. And you may say everyone's doing it. Well, if your boss tells you to do it, and it's not actually against company policy, and you're not in trouble, and you're not doing anything illegal, then don't worry about it. But if, if you get reprimanded, because you're stretching it, you're pushing it, that's not good. It, it's, again, it's, it's like the first principle. It really shows that you don't want to be working. Uh, and I don't think that's the right thing for Christian to communicate. Third principle, maintain energy levels. What do you mean? Well, we give our best when we're feeling our best, when we're, we've been uh, exercising, not sluggish, we're hydrated. We drink lots of water, not those uh, sugary drinks that give you a, a sugar high and then you crash. Uh, when we look after our health, when we think positive thoughts, 
we do so much better in work. We make better decisions. A fourth principle, never to complain. I know people love to complain, just like they love to gossip at work. Christians shouldn't complain. We can offer constructive feedback when the time is right. But remember, our ultimate concern is for the work of God, not for how we can get the most out of our company. Next, pray before arriving. Pray before arriving? Well, I think it would be better to have some time of prayer and study in the morning before we come to work, if you can do that. But early in the day is always better than later. Pray before arriving in order to be in the best frame of mind possible. I wouldn't want to stumble into work without having uh, get really entrusted my heart to the Lord and taken some time to pray. Six, work hard. Remember, Jesus is our ultimate employer. He's our true employer, Colossians 3.23. And last, always remember that in the workplace, we're representing Christ. Do we have a crisis developing in our world? Yes, we do. In a culture of entitlement, less work, uh, people spending far beyond their means, we have some severe problems. And while I'm a big supporter of rights for workers, and I'm certainly not opposed to labor organizing, I think there's another side and, and to this that we must be aware of. And especially if we're Christians, we need to be aware that we're called to be the best workers in the workplace. Are you? Are you someone that your boss looks at and respects and trusts? Is our example strong enough, our conscience clear enough, that we can share Jesus Christ with others without feeling that we're contradicting the message by our actions at work? Labor Day. Enjoy it. Enjoy the picnics. Enjoy any celebration. But through this and through all special days, we are primarily followers of Christ. That's where we get our primary identity.